Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello! I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, the show where we help you through the midlife, the menopause, motherhood, and everything in between. In today's episode, we're going to be separating menopause myths from reality and finding out what is actually going on with our hormones in perimenopause. And tactics on rowing with your teenager, all those family arguments you tend to have with hormonal teens, where you can get help and what's really going on if you're feeling at the end of your tether. Have you been feeling at the end of your tether, Lorraine? Yes. Sleeping. I know we talk about this a bit. Well, it's a big thing, midlife and sleeping. Mm. Do you know what I discovered this week, which I think is going to be the way forward for me and Mr. Candy? The Scandinavian to-duvet. You each have a duvet and you cocoon, that's the word (laughs) they use. That sounds very cozy. In your own, at your own pace, without having it pulled off you or without his hugely volcanic heat (laughs) radiating... So I'm going to get a duvet each and then that's going to regulate my own heat without having to moan to Mr. Candy about it. So that's my plan. So You've my got plan, a thing, got haven't you? Well, I, uh, Special I'll tell you what I did. Bed. <laughs> what do you do, Trish? Tell I me did, about I it. I bought a super king size bed. You know, Neil and I, we're not the biggest people in the world, so there's actually quite a lot of space to, to have on this bed. And in fact... There's a sort of barrier in the middle of the bed where I stuff my extra pillow. Is that so I sh- rampant Neil? Is that is it that? <laughs> it's no? just more that it's just like my own cocoon space. But we Why do you just share get a, your own bed. Why should we do? We do share a duvet though, so that's you know. That's, What's the barricade for? Because he snores. It's more like moves. no. Do you know what? what I like to do? rest my arm on it. Oh my so God. I've got myself. I've got one of these uh, memory foam pillows that's sculpted to the shape of your head, so you don't you don't move. You just lie on your back you don't really toss and turn all night it's so comfortable and then I just like to rest my arm on the extra pillow at the side this this is why we would be very bad bed companions <laughs> I know this about you uh, there's many reasons why we would be bad bed companions but I sleep on my front in a sort of star shape ah selfish starfish you yes. need a king a super king size bed no I might I know no I need my own bed <laughs> you just need a big single bed yes. your own queen bed yeah that'd be nice Now, our special guest today is Dr. Shazadi Harper, who runs the Harper Clinic in London. She's a member of the British Menopause Society, and she's a specialist in perimenopause and menopause. She also has a daughter. She's 49. She has quite a good, helpful, personal story to tell. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I think we'd like to start really by clarifying some medical things, because that's your area of expertise. So talk to me about the perimenopause, because this is the big bit that I didn't understand, didn't know about. So all your symptoms of of menopause, Mm -hmm. as it were, are in that period leading up to when your periods stop. 
And all we talk about is when your periods stop and that's the menopause. So what happens and what treatment can we look for? Well, thank you for having me here. It's great to be here. So yeah, people hear that term menopause and they just don't know what it means at that time leading up to it. So we know that the average age of menopause in this country is 51. That's when your periods stop. That's when your periods stop. So what the menopause means is it's your last period. But you can only say that a year afterwards. So when you've had a year of no period, you can look back and say, oh, that's when my menopause happened. And the average age in this country for that is 51. Right. And that time leading up to it is called the perimenopause. And that can be four to eight years. But on average, again, most women sort of delve into it or dive into it at the age of 47 and a half. But I have to give a few caveats to that, really, because I think, you know, we talk about menopause and I think sometimes we need to understand. And here we are in London, very cosmopolitan, very international, lots of different ethnicities. So lots of factors can actually affect that average age. If you're a woman of Southeast Asian origin, i.e. sort of Indian, Pakistani, it could be 46 and a half. If you're a woman who's not had any children, it could be two years earlier. If you are a woman who's had children under the age of 28, it can be two years earlier. Do you think there's a lot of myths and misconceptions do you see with women who come to your clinic, just a sort of a lack of understanding? Because I know I really didn't understand what was happening to me at that time. Especially the emotional side of it, because those are symptoms. And this is the issue, isn't it? There isn't a blood test that says you're perimenopausal. No. There isn't one that says you you are menopausal. No. And all these other symptoms, a lot, loss of concentration, mm. loss feeling of overwhelmed, overwhelmed, feeling yeah. overwhelmed, and actually proper diagnosable depression, yeah. extreme exhaustion, chronic tiredness, night sweats, not being able to... All of this is part of it, isn't it? I think, I think when women enter into their 40s, or women in general, I think we're so used to just putting up with things and dealing with things, and we kind of put it down to life. You know, maybe children, partners, work, you know, all of those kind of factors. So I think sometimes these symptoms of perimenopause can come along and you're not sort of putting two and two together. You're feeling tired, but you might think, oh, it's because I'm doing a school run or my children are going off to university. Well, your GP's not putting two and two together. No, that's that's also the case. Now, GPs don't put two and two together. And I think that, you know, some women are kind of left sort of searching and wondering what's going on. And a lot of women, you know, you mentioned about sort of mood, emotional sort of side of things. They're not really aware that their mood could be affected by their hormones. And women who've not experienced anxiety before in the past suddenly feel anxious or are waking up with palpitations. I had a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Similarly, for, for myself, you know, I've never been a, a, a non-coping kind of woman. I'm a big sister. You know, I'm always the one that they you, turn to. Can we just stop at big sister? Because you have <laughs> seven siblings. I do. Six sisters. Five sisters and two brothers. And so I'm their big sister. So I'm the one that they turn to. And obviously the hormonal changes affect me before any of them. And suddenly I'm feeling anxious or feeling a bit more overwhelmed. When did that start for you? For me, I think it was more like 44, 45. Mm. And, Mm. you know, so so it's been a few years. And I've got friends who have been suicidal with the symptoms and have thought that something, they might have schizophrenia and they might have some awful mental illness. And actually it's it's the decreasing in oestrogen, testosterone. All it's all of those hormones declining and, and you, you you sort of mentioned you know what are these myths and I think a lot of the time women think it must be much older women mm. uh, you know you've got to be maybe in your 50s or 60s and I've had 
I, I did have a, I've had a number of patients and one in particular stands out at 47 and she actually only came because one of her friends almost like pushed her to come and see me and her friend was 51 or 52. We went through and I said, I think you're perimenopausal. I mean, I thought, I know you are, but you know, you have to sort of tailor it to her. And she said she actually felt quite angry. She felt really angry yeah. that she hadn't been prepared mm. for this stage of her life and nobody seemed to have told her about it. Um, nobody seemed to have warned her, I suppose. I had exactly that experience probably in my mid-40s. Overwhelmed, anxious, can't cope with anything, tearful all the time. I went to see a therapist. I didn't yeah. even think about going to my GP. Yeah. I thought this is something, I need therapy. I don't need... Well, you think I, you thought it was your fault. It was yeah. my, But I just, you know, I'm a journalist. I should have been able to know about this and find out about it. Well, so will you say it's that? a bigger society. We just don't talk about it. We don't... Oh, look, you, you say that about yourself, but I'm a doctor. And I think when these symptoms started to happen to me, you know, yeah. um, at the same time I was in a new relationship, you know, my daughter was going to be doing her GCSEs. I didn't think it was my hormones. And yet this is my sort of field. And it took me a little bit of time to put together this sort of overwhelming fatigue that I was experiencing, suddenly getting up in the night to go to the toilet. And I thought, what's going on there? Isn't that what old men do, not me? Um, and again, it's all about the estrogen. Uh, so talking about hormones, can you just get a little bit scientific here mm. and actually explain what is happening to our hormones and what kind of effect does that have on us other than some of these symptoms, such as our sex drive, those kind of things? So our female hormones are estrogen and progesterone. They're produced from our ovaries and we also produce some testosterone. And so what happens from our sort of 40s onwards is our ovaries aren't working as well or they're not producing those hormones in the same kind of quantities as they were before. Because we don't need them, is that what? Yeah. Well, it's, it's a decline in fertility. I suppose, yeah. yes, we don't need them as much. But we do need them for other parts of our body. And I think everybody assumes that we're just our ovaries. But I often say women are more than just their ovaries. And those estrogen receptors are in our brain. You know, they affect our collagen, you know, our skin, our hair. Someone um, described it to me as it's like a car engine and there's all the oil making it work. And then the oil just starts to disappear and stuff starts getting a bit cranky. And you know, that's a great, that's, that is actually a great analogy because one of the symptoms is joint stiffness. Yes, uh, I and, thought I had arthritis yeah. at 40, ridiculous. Yeah, And that, again, is because we haven't got as much oestrogens. Actually, the higher number of women will get that symptom compared to hot flushes, which we all seem to know about. Hot flushes or being a bit cranky and irritable and moody, you know, those, those are the things that we, we get labelled with, I think. And it's also, this is my pet theory mm. on this, because people like to make fun of women when yeah. there's things wrong with them. And you can do a thousand cartoons about people, women having hot flushes, but yeah. you can't about women having serious things like joint aching, which men yeah. might get, but they don't get hot flushes, so no. it's funny. And yeah. we actually make it funny ourselves, the feminist aside. I just think it's a stupid thing to do to make it funny. It really is. I had a woman who used to work on BMW, because I'm from Oxford, so when I was in Oxford at BMW plant, and um, she was on the production line, and she was getting hot flushes every 20 minutes and having to walk away. And it's a very male-dominated environment. So, you know, it is really embarrassing for her, very awkward, you know. Yeah, it's not funny at all. It's actually really debilitating. And what do you, so you go into your GP and you say, this is it, this is awful, I'm having, mm. as I did, I'm having peculiar pa panic attacks, never yeah. happened to me before, I feel very anxious, can't sleep, very hot all the time. What, what should you be asking your GP for and how should you ask? Because you're also a bit odd when you go in, I think, you're a bit, you can't quite absorb <laughs> information. Yeah. 
I've been a GP and I also know from the other side, you know, being a more inexperienced GP probably 10 years ago that when these kind of women used to come in, I used to think, what is going on with them? You know, I don't know much about it. And that's because GPs don't get much training no, in it at all. GPs get very little training. So you can't, I don't want to feel like we're blaming GPs all the time, no. but it's, it's because they, don't, they aren't given the information that's needed and there's a lot more available now. So I, I think when you go into your GP surgery, I think you, know, you talk about it, you need to express what's going on and maybe say, look, I, I don't think I'm depressed because there is something called menopause mood disorder. And that doesn't mean to say you're depressed as it would be described in normal medical terms. And I think, you know, it, you really need a bit of time with your GP. So maybe not just walk away after one appointment, maybe make a double appointment. Good point. Um, and Should you write I, it down? Should you write down? I would say write them down because mm-hmm. you've got 10 minutes and actually you've got probably a bit less than that. So if you write it down and you can go in. In my practice in Oxford with my other partners, I used to give them a menopause symptom checker that if a woman came in, yeah. is to hand it over to them so she could go home and almost do a bit of homework before she came to see you. So... I would say to some women, look, if you're not sure what's going on, maybe do a little bit of homework if you can, or at least write it down so that when you're there, because maybe your GP won't know what's going on, that you can almost try and direct the conversation a little bit. And and do you think women might be reticent to talk about more intimate things like sex drive or vaginal dryness, those kind of issues? I I think they're very reticent. But I also think that when they come and see you, often it's the lowest priority for some of them. You know, if they're not sleeping, if they're getting hot flushes, if they're feeling depressed, you know, if they're feeling low in mood, if their joints are aching. And often, you know, I will directly ask that question about vaginal dryness and libido and they'll say, yeah, maybe a bit dry. Well, I've not had sex for a while. I don't really feel like it. But that's because they've got so many other things going on because they're tired. And they'll say, you know, I'm, that, those aren't, that's not what's worrying me. But then on another level, I often have some women come in and that's their driving force. And I had one woman who said to me, I don't want my relationship with my husband to be like a brother and sister. No. And that's where it's going. Boring. You know, and, and that's where it's going. And, you know, and sex is healthy. You know, for your vaginal health, for your mood, for intimacy, for you well, know, we've talked to Susie Gosson, haven't we? It's, yeah. it's a part of being in love as well. Absolutely. You can't say yeah. I, that's the end of it just because you're yeah. over forty. So you're in your GP and you say, "What about HRT? Is it going to give me breast cancer? I can't take it, can I? Because of the scare stories." Yeah, I mean, I uh, this infuriates me, you know, and it's one of these myths that we're talking about when it comes to breast cancer. I think that we hear so much about it and, you know, I think sometimes it's the media, the way that they portray it, that HRT causes breast cancer. But there are other things that we need to weigh up. You know, I can't say to you 100% it doesn't have... You know, it doesn't. There is a small risk attached. There is there? a small risk, but there are bigger risks attached with smoking or with drinking wine. Drinking. Twice. I, I think what's the figure? If you drink wine, two glasses of wine a day, your risk is more than taking HRT. Yeah, and smoking and obesity. You know, when women go into this, when they're in the perimenopause, one of the things they also say is they gain weight. So should we not be helping them to get that energy, that motivation to help them lose that weight? Mm you know, lowering your weight will actually lower your risk factors for so many illnesses, diseases, you know. Sort and of- HRT, as far as I understand it from the research I've done and the pieces we've done in the magazine, it can protect you from osteoporosis. Oh, it, de- it does. Dementia. It's, yeah. And a variety of other cardiovascular diseases. Yeah. So there are real benefits beyond 
just the treatment of your perimenopause. And that's why, you know, you really need to talk to somebody about the whole picture because it is cardioprotective. It does protect your heart. You know, when it comes to bones, when one in two women will suffer with osteoporosis and HRT is the best treatment for it. And, you know, one of the big reasons I came into this field also is my mother got dementia and it was really following the menopause that things all went a bit pear-shaped for her. And for me... You know, my brain is my biggest asset well, and I don't want to lose that. Your mum had eight children. I mean, that must have <laughs> been, she yeah. must have been extraordinarily exhausted so as well. how yeah. do people stay yeah. on HRT? Because I, I, I'm, I'm one of these people, unfortunately, my mother died of breast cancer. I hadn't even considered taking HRT, so I've sort of done my perimenopause okay. without anything apart from some therapy, very expensive therapy. Um, me, Trish, I've been here. What, you. What you would, is it still advisable to kind of, if you had <laughs> your menopause? that. <laughs> can you go on HRT after you've had your menopause? The NICE guidelines say that you can start on HRT within 10 years of your menopause. Okay. Right. And, and, you know, one of the things is you can even go on to it at a later point if you discuss it with a doctor and, and you weigh up the risks and the benefits for you. I was reading that Liz Earle's mum at the age of 80 just recently has gone on to HRT. Oh, wow. May well be for her bones, may mm. well be for other symptoms. But, you know, I do have some women who are 72, 73, 79, 80 who are on it. So you have to weigh up the risks for each person. You know, if you are a smoker and you're overweight and, you know, you've got positive history of breast cancer, I'm not going to put you onto it. But... Talking about breast cancer, just because in your family there's breast cancer doesn't mean to say you can't go on to it. If you've not got the BRCA gene, mm -hmm. then you could still you know, go on to um, HRT. And if you've not had an estrogen receptor um, breast cancer, you can still have vaginal estrogens as well. So I think you know there are a lot of myths out there when it comes to breast cancer and who can or can't go on to HRT. You mentioned the uh, that's one method through a vaginal HRT. Yeah. What other what other methods are there? How do people take it? So HRT can be taken as gels, patches, tablets. And also as pessaries, you know, the progesterone can be given as a pessary. I personally like to do it through the skin, you know, using a gel. And I like to give micronized progesterone, which are both very naturally produced from yams and is what we call body identical. Right, Shazadi, I'm going to ask you the question everyone asks me. This is mm. the one our readers ask on the Sunday Times. It's one me and Trish debate quite a lot. Okay. So I have been prescribed body identical mm. HRT. Um, this is what the NHS prescribes. Yeah, yeah. I have friends who are on bio-identical HRT. Yes. They've gone to private clinics. Um, they've had a blood test, which has revealed they need this specific bespoke mm. uh, makeup of HRT. Now, it's unregulated yeah. and it's expensive. Yeah. And I don't think they should be taking mm. that, but they seem to feel that, that it's offering a kind of re a real solution because it's a very bespoke thing, because it's based on a blood test. Now, we know the blood test element is a bit of a red herring. Can you just unpick that as a medical expert for yeah, us? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the other thing to remember is body identical, and the reason we use that term, and I also prescribe that, is it's actually regulated bioidentical. So, and bioidentical, all that means is chemically similar to what your body produces. So... We don't use that term bioidentical, I suppose, in the NHS and, you know, in clinics okay. such as mine, yeah. because we want to separate and differentiate it between the bioidentical market, these um, clinics where a lot of money is spent on blood tests and a lot of money is spent on making it seem bespoke because they say it's from especially made formulation for you rather than for you, Trish. 
Whereas actually, one of the things is they don't t- seem to tend to work. And, you know, they, they're not regulated. They haven't got that evidence be- behind it. So I will often say, and I, I will often see women who've been there and, you know, who are still symptomatic um, because they spent a lot of money on it. And I it's think thousands, isn't it? It's not just, you know, thousands. a couple of hundred here and there. It's thousands of pounds. And, and, I, and I think that's why probably they might be thinking that it's doing them good. I think it's a great marketing job. That's what I think it is. Now, the other thing that is confusing is the blood test element of this. So mm. as, as I understand it, having got my journalist head on when I've been in doctor surgeries, yeah. if you have a blood test now, if I have a blood test today, the results tomorrow around hormones will be very different from my blood test today. But there's no benchmark. There's no baseline of what my actual hormones were when they were all firing on all cylinders when I was 30. So you haven't got that. You can't compare to that. So you can't prescribe to that. And it could be different tomorrow. That's kind of how is that right yeah, and and that's why the numbers aren't as important as you and i think we need Symptoms to understand that important. yeah so you know if you the nice guidelines say if you're under if you're over the age of 45 and you've got symptoms then forget the numbers you know treat the woman treat you treat your symptoms and you're right you know if you are perimenopausal and you go in one day your blood test which is the fsh follicle stimulating hormone test um that could be perfectly normal today but yet you could be feeling you know a lot of perimenopausal symptoms um but then if you repeat it again and that is what you're meant to do is repeat it again in six weeks time it could be very different and it can vary and fluctuate because that's exactly what's going on in the perimenopause your hormones are fluctuating and they're gradually declining so the blood test is not an accurate indication of what's going on the only time it's useful is if you've got a Mirena coil fitted, which is a progesterone-only coil, if you've got Depo, um, which is a progesterone-only implant, or if you're on the mini pill. So that's the only time that it's important because you, right. your symptoms may be masked because on those forms of contraception, you may not know when your periods have stopped or irregular because a lot of women don't yeah. get periods on that. Now, so, can we talk about progesterone as well? Because mm. I also take progesterone tablets. So yeah. the two, HRT and progesterone, are often prescribed in tandem, aren't yeah. they? What, what is progesterone doing? So is it my womb lining? Yes. So if you've got an intact womb, if you've got an intact womb, then we've got to, if you were just given oestrogen alone then the lining of your womb would just keep building and building and building and put you at risk of um, endometrial cancer. So what progesterone does, it sort of counterbalances that and prevents you from getting that over-thickened lining of your womb. Right. Progesterone can also help with sort of anti-anxiety type symptoms and help with sleep type symptoms as well. Oh, can it? It works in what we call the GABA receptors in the brain to help sort of calming not all women like it. If you've had PMT, it's not your favourite hormone. I'm a PMT sufferer, it's not my favourite hormone. So often for those women, I will say to them to maybe use it or take it as a pessary rather than taking it orally because there'll be less of a general effect. And talking about, you were talking before about uh, contraceptives. Yeah. I have no clue about HRT and contraceptives. How do they interact I mean, you can still get pregnant during your perimenopause, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, HRT is not contraception. And I need to say that because I think a lot of women forget that and there are sort of, they get pregnant and there are increasing rates of um, terminations and things in the over 40 age group, actually. Um, So you do need contraception in the perimenopause. And the rule of thumb is if you are under the age of 50 and your periods have stopped, you need to have contraception for two more years. 
If you're over the age of 50 and your periods have stopped, you need contraception for one more year. And if you are a woman on who's got the coil and, um, you know, one of these um, contraceptions that I've mentioned, then you should continue until the age of 55. You know, all women can basically stop contraception at 55 because it's highly, highly, highly unlikely that you will get mm. pregnant. I made my husband have a vasectomy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Great idea. And now everybody knows. Well, I wrote about it in a newspaper at the yeah. time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a great, great idea. It's yeah. a great idea. Well, yes. I just thought, why? I've just yeah. had. I just you do. So something. do they have? Because obviously, contracept. You know, the pill. It's 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 hormonal. Isn't yeah. It? So do they, do they have to balance out the HRT type of HRT they give you with those with that? Well, no. That I mean, work? HRT is usually a much lower dose than any of your pills. So um, often, women who may want to what they may want to do is have the transdermal estrogen and have a morena coil. And that way you get your progesterone to protect the lining of your womb as well as having contraception. Mm-hmm. Or people use condoms. God, you really need to see... No, condoms, go and see say. a doctor who knows about this. Don't you? you do. Like you. But you sort of have to do a bit of research before you yeah. go because I think you go, yeah. you're quite desperate by the time you go so you can't take it all in. Yeah. When, now, the other thing that I think is interesting about your story, Shazadi, is your, your mum... Yeah, um, because you you've said before that the way your mum or our mums have gone through menopause, yeah, may be an indicator of what we're going to go yeah. through as yeah. well. So, yeah. how did it work with your mum? How did you tackle we, that? So, we grew up in Oxford, but we're of Pakistani heritage. So, um, yeah, so she's always been that sort of rock of the family, uh, and. Then suddenly when she went through her hormonal changes and she actually went through her menopause age 55, she was a much older woman because she'd had all of those children. So having more children means that you go through it a little bit later. And she became this woman who wouldn't, wouldn't allow or wouldn't lock the bathroom door. She needed the door open because she was getting panics and anxiety. She'd go out in the snow because she was getting hot flushes. Um, And so this is not the woman or not the mother that I Mm. knew. And... Yes, she's got a lot of other medical issues, but, you know, dementia just started to accelerate, I felt. Her memory, her sharpness, she's always been amazing at maths. You know, I Mm. I used to think that if she'd grown up in this country, you know, she would have been, um, you know, sort of top of her game in whatever she did. And I often think of myself like her. So I really did not want to go down that route of losing or not being able to um, sort of rem- remember things or not being able to work, not being able to concentrate and focus. And for me, it was more the brain side of things that really um, yes, yeah. pushed me or wanted me to do this. I think it really affects your self-esteem when you start yeah. to forget yeah. middle names, yeah. what you're doing, where you're going and words for things. I've got a friend who just went to the doctor and said, I think something wrong with my brain because I can't remember any words. And he said, well, you're 48. This is a part of your perimenopausal journey. And 48 is young. You know, I, yes. I feel I couldn't have continued as a doctor, really. I, I think if I hadn't gone into HRT when I did, I, I worry that maybe I would not have been able to function as a doctor. I wouldn't have. I've been able to open my clinic. I wouldn't have been able to, you know, help other women, I suppose. Um, I think it's really important to understand that, you know, midlife is not over. It can be a new beginning and we've still got another 
you know, 40 years or if not more ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Lots more adventures. Yeah. Can we, can we go back to vaginas? Yes, I was going to say. I, was, <laughs> oh, I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to talk about well, sex was, life. Well, yes, yeah, sex life. And, and you mentioned as well vaginal health, which I'm not sure is something that yeah. we think about a lot either. And I mean, I, you know, have talked to women who have um, various problems with their, with their vaginas mm. since... Uh, Why do you do that funny thing that funny when you voice. say vagina? I don't know. That word, isn't it? <laughs> oh. um, but um, so yes, you you've actually got a, a laser treatment that yeah. you do at your clinic. Can you just talk us through what it does and what what it can help with? It gives you the, gives you a laser to use from your vagina. Is that what you're saying? Because <laughs> I think that would be really bloody useful. That would. Well, that would well, be... well, I mean, we talk about vaginal health, and I think we forget actually that um, vaginal health isn't just sexual health. It can also be your pelvic floor, um, and you know, one of the things that a lot of women start to get in their perimenopause uh, and onwards is recurrent urinary tract infections, recurrent thrush, and the reason that happens is because our protective barrier pH. Um, acidic barrier changes and that's also because of declining estrogen so what the laser does is it um, it sort of heats up the vaginal lining it does little micro traumas so what it does is helps to tighten the vagina it also helps to produce more collagen so it helps with lubrication and helping support the pelvic floor and it's something that women who can't go on to HRT, like, for example, breast cancer survivors who are often on treatments that really dry them out, you know, dry out their skin as well as, you know, vaginal dryness, it can help with that. So, How yes, does it work? Where do you put it? It's a laser. It looks a bit like a... Oh, it's a probe, and I'm going to be blunt. It looks like a dildo, you know, and you insert it inside the vagina. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a short sort of treatment period. You know, it isn't... It's, um, not really painful at all and it's not like having a smear test so it's quite a nice easy way of doing it you know sort of and helping women because I often think you know breast cancer survivors in particular they're made to feel so um, grateful for having their breast cancer Mm. treatment they've forgotten that they're also women and you know we're going back to sex again it's important in love in intimacy and sorry vaginas again Mm. (laughs) She's got a list. Yeah, vagina list. A friend told me that her doctor said that her vagina had atrophied. Yeah. What does that mean? It didn't sound very good. No, it's not a nice word. Um, And what atrophied means is that lining of the womb has thinned. So it's not as plump as it used to be. And because of that, it's a bit drier. And when you're having sex, it can be painful and uncomfortable. So often when your vagina atrophies, the walls of the vagina thin, it can also shorten a little bit. So that's why it's important to use your vagina because having an orgasm, having sex, increases that blood flow to it and really helps with the sort of the natural tissues down there. So I say use it or lose it. That's a good, good you, place that's to end what, yeah, Let's good. use. That's what Trish and I'll be doing this afternoon. <laughs> using our vaginas. Oh, right. Shall we talk about what happens when you argue with your teenagers? Because this is, I mean, it's just really tricky, isn't it? I'm a bit of a shouter. As you know, I, do, I, mean, I come from a family, you have a big argument, it's all over in 10 seconds, it's all very loud, and we just move on. There was a survey last year of a 1,000 children aged 8 to 11, and 10% of them said that they really need things to be much calmer during argument situations. And, but 
that aside, the thing that made me laugh out of the whole... One of the little kids said that actually they thought it'd be better if um, Alexa or Google Home <laughs> were, shout, was or, were shouting at the them. argument oh, really? than... <laughs> If they were going to have an argument with something, they'd rather have an argument with an inanimate computer robotic voice because that they could get their their uh, point across and feel feel listened to. So. It's such a difficult thing, it isn't really it? It really is. With teenagers. I, I mean, looking back, I thought I'd sort of think about how I was as a teenager and rowing with my parents. And, and I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I had an older sister who did an awful, awful lot of it. Um, bless her. She sort of, you know, led the way and uh, did all the rowing on behalf, because we're only a year apart. So she sort of did all the rowing on behalf of both of us. And I just thought, this really doesn't work out very well. So I just decided my approach would be that I just wouldn't really tell my parents anything and I ended up being an enormous sneak so I just go off and sneakily do things so rather than lying, actually not rowing. I was lying not rowing and actually thinking about that now I it just means thinking about that with my children I would hate them to not tell me what they were doing and I'd hate to not know mm. so I'd rather listen it's about we've, it's about a negotiation isn't it it's where the thing is when they become teenagers we're so used to controlling everything in their life up until that age about 12 or 13, then suddenly they want to take control of it. It's their life. They want to make the decisions. So really, it's it's about a negotiation between the two. So it's a kind of it is. It's also diplomatic negotiation. It's not about parents always having being right no. or having the final say. I've spoken to quite a few psychologists um, and experts for my parenting column in Sunday Times magazine. And one of the things that I think I've learned is that During your teenage, when you're going through quite a lot of neurological changes, it's very difficult for teenagers to process negative words. So it might be logical and sensible to you, but they don't, they physically can't hear it or translate it into meaning. So you're, you're both arguing from a different standpoint at that point. And often it's not what you're rowing about that's the issue. It's a a long running thing happening underneath. And you have to practice what they call active listening you're in argument mode so you're thinking about what you're going to say next what you're not doing is taking that two or three seconds to really listen to what they might be saying that's underneath it's quite hard isn't it stopping yourself when you're in in the moment yes. to well, actually how do you stop yourself you could try the abc method mm. which an author of a, a teenage help books taught me which i think is 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 obvious but you know it's good to have it set in your mind and get it as a habit so a is for accept so you're in the room all this is kicking off there's loads of shouting everyone hates you so just accept that there's loads of anger and emotion in the room take a moment and think i'm just here it is all this awfulness happening in front of me b is breathe so just take a very deep breath that resets your brain slightly and then c is choice so you think shall i yell or not you actually ask yourself that question am i going to yell here or not if you're I, right if I and yell, they're wrong i just feel awful afterwards. no it's wrong I just hate on every myself. level it's wrong I hate to myself to for not them. having been able to do that take the breath and just kind of and think okay what is this really about does it does it really matter does it warrant a row cuz quite often does it you know if it's about messy bedrooms or I mean well, I, we don't really row about that stuff these are kind of given up on that but it's there safety are safety is yeah, the thing yeah. to row so if you think that or, or they've done something truly diabolical but even in those circumstances any which way you cut it you must not shout at them you can tell them exactly how you feel but you must keep the volume down and you need to say it slowly and you need to 
make sure they are listening at this point. If they're not listening and you're all shouting, there's just no point. There's no point doing it. No, and I think what's sort of recommended in those situations is is like having a time out and saying... Everyone having one. Everyone (laughs) having a time out because even sort of saying something like, okay, I'm going to, let's leave this now. You can calm down. I'm going to go away and gather my thoughts and I'm going to really think about this because if they hear, they want you to know that you're listening to them and you're thinking about what they're saying. So if you can kind of, I mean, that's very grown up way of doing it and it's not always easy in the moment but I think that's something I have been trying and it does seem to, to yeah. work quite well and then you know going back having thought about it and and quite often I think in, in the heat of a moment if you start asking quite practical things it sort of diffuses it because it stops them being in this kind of rah. so if it's about a party you can start saying well okay what time is the party or what time and then they have to stop and think and answer and that and that can kind of Slows diffuse it, it. And what about humor do you ever use uh, humor to diffuse mm. i'm 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 naught to 10 on the rage front so okay. it's quite difficult to then try and find some funny yeah. in between i another thing i'd learned was to say I rather than you. So when you have the argument, you say, I feel that rather than you always, Mm, which is a really mm. awful thing to say. And then there's a psychologist in America called Dr. Brad Reedy, R-E-E-D-Y. And one of the things he points out in his book is we often walk into the room with all our own psychological makeup and every way we've ever argued with our own parents and what we're kind of expecting even if it's subconscious is for our children and our teenagers to make us better to make us feel better this is a terrible thing they've done it's made us feel awful we know it's wrong that they've done it we need to feel better and that's a massive responsibility to put on a young brain a young emotionally immature adolescent to mm-hmm. ask them to make you feel better is wrong that's not and it might even be a subconscious thing you're doing but that's just not fair so you really have to step away from the emotions on it and think what needs to physically be done or sorted or resolved where do I want the end point of this day? and the end point can't be it makes me feel a better parent no. that's not their I mean, responsibility us being compassionate to them isn't it and understanding that you know they're, they're rowing or they're behaving this way because there's something that's upsetting them and quite often the thing that you're rowing about isn't is isn't the thing, no, is it? There might no. be some underlying issue, and 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 sometimes a, a row might be the only time that they can actually tell you what they're really thinking or feel feeling. They, don't they might feel be a little bit, to. yeah, because they don't feel listened to, or they want to talk about something and they don't know how to talk about it. So. Off, off it goes. Do you sulk? Um, I'm not a sulker. I'm a bit of a door slammer. If I do kick off, I kick off. It doesn't happen very often, and I might huff and then bang a door which is so immature I'm a bit uh, of a swearer not, oh, that's oh no worry. really yeah, oh no this is interesting because it's what bad. would you you swear you would swear in the what in if they I swear, swear at them no not about <laughs> right okay yeah not at them but, I do swear at the dog though right. I do swear at her but what if they swear at you what would you or if they kind of they were really disrespectful the, but what is disrespectful so that's the you view it as such but and in if their they called heads, you a thing effing bitch Oh, that would some be. Bit, I mean, very my bad. kids haven't done that, but no, some people's kids no. will do that. Yeah, the heated, yeah. very heated yeah. moment. Well, I think that is disrespectful, but mm. the kind of just sort of when they say whatever or mm. yeah, sucks yeah, to yeah. be you, that yeah. kind of thing. That's <laughs> yeah. that's yes. not disrespectful. I think yeah. we all have to work out what our levels are. Some of yeah. these very, very obvious. Yeah. And um, it's the thing you would talk about them afterwards when when they're in a good place and when they're yes. sort of in. You can you can bring it up then in a very calm and measured and say how and we know the rule about hurt. that, don't we? What's side by side. Oh yeah, face to face. 
Never have a fight. But just find them when they're kind of, um, you know, when they're in a, in a, a good place and they're not enjoying chatting with you. I mean, I think they'd be mortified by yes. know, that kind of buffet, or they can be. Do you um, know what's brilliant about teenagers, though, which I absolutely love, is when they have a real strong view about something politically mm. or mm. something they think that shouldn't be happening. Climate change, we have so many arguments about that because they're, they're quite impractical in there <laughs> and they do blame <laughs> so us. So they're quite for, idealistic, for they're but then they're so like, leave the tap running, to. that sort of stuff. Exactly, yeah. 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 They're, they're like the biggest users of single-use plastic, mm. but they'll make a right fuss about Australia being on fire, quite rightly. But they're kind of self-righteous belief in themselves. I mm. find that really lovely. Mm. I love mm. hearing them. That I love passion. it when they come back at me with idealism passion. it's yeah. really good it's not all bad no teenagers. it's not and um i i read a statistic that apparently teen teenagers argue with their parents i.e us as much as couples do in the breakdown of a relationship oh, I see. <laughs> so that kind of gives you an idea so anybody out there having a lot of rows it's it's, it's not, not abnormal. it's not abnormal. not just you yeah and they're not going to divorce you Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So now we've come to that bit of the episode right towards the end where we talk about the things that we've been doing and that have been inspiring us this week. So what's changed your life this week, Lorraine? Can I tell you what's changed my life? And it's been, honestly, it made me cry. It made me laugh. I just, it put me into such a place when I was watching it one Sunday afternoon. Cheer on Netflix. It's a documentary of the Navajo cheerleading team. Every cheerleader in it has an extraordinary backstory. And Monica, the coach... I would die for Monica. I would walk into mm. oncoming traffic for oh that woman. Goodness. She is amazing. She takes these kids from the worst background and they're national champions in the States. And it's their story leading up to the national championship. And it's just, and it's also all that, all the things I love is cheerleading, <laughs> which is gymnastics. Oh, Brilliant music. I'm, gonna, oh my God, I'm watching that tonight. It. I'm going home. I'm oh, watching that tonight. I loved that's, it so much. That's it. That's and the me. other thing I've been trying this week, which, um, I've discovered a little noodly googly um, is Etsy's 1980s gifts Aww. strand. All the things Ooh. they've got, all the games what, like we what? used like to what? play. Like what? Um, Mark, you remember Mastermind with those funny little pegs? Uh, yes. There's that. Yes. There's Smurfs. <laughs> It's got everything. Oh. It's got all the kind. It's got. An, I bought an ET key ring. Well, oh. I don't need one of them. Do no, you I? don't. Why have no, I got that? No. <laughs> That's not going to save the Took planet. Me back in time. No. And then I had a little nostalgia moment when um, my teenager came in Friday night on her way out with her boyfriend, 17 years old, came in wearing some fantastic trousers. And I went, oh, God, look at your parachute pants. They're fabulous. 
What is the point of you? She said. Why are you talking? What do you mean, parachute? I said, they're parachute trousers. They're made of different bits of material. That's parachute trousers. That's from the 90s. You've did seen you, have, all did you have a lot of pairs, did you? I had lots of oh, parachute trousers. There she was those. wearing, absolutely horrified and Well, you know what you need to do is borrow them and wear them the next time she's there with her boyfriend. <laughs> Even more horrified. <laughs> yes. Look at me wearing your clothes. Your clothes. I knew you'd like that, yeah. Sky. I knew you'd like it. Oh. What's been going on oh, in your life? Well, what are you testing oh, and trying? Do you know, well, I tell you what's changed my life this week, or more that just literally stunned me, was that I was having a little chat on the phone with my dad, as you do, and he is 80 years old. He's oh, a lovely Irishman from the west of Ireland, you know, loves watching rugby and drinking Guinness. And um, he said, um, oh, I've been to yoga this morning. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous, you misheard. That's what I said. I said, no, Dad, no, I didn't go to yoga. I went swimming. I told you I went swimming. And he went, no, 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 I went to yoga. <laughs> he started doing yoga at 80. And he's also tried Pilates, as oh, he called it. I what, video? Not no, locally. Pilates. He's gone in out a class. The Pilates, yeah. Pilates. He must be one of the few men in the oh, class, no. Yeah, he said there's three old guys and a, a bunch of women. So, oh, uh, yeah, but I'm dad. just like, my goodness. Yes, I am stunned. That's brilliant. Well done, Dad. Um, Can I do a foodie one for what I'm trying? I've slightly become, and I I know this isn't new, but I'm obsessed with coconut yogurt. It's so delicious. And I've got this... You know how I feel about coconuts. (laughs) New breakfasty thing that I whiz up. I've got one of those little mini blenders. Bought that. That's amazing. Whiz up some coconut yogurt with some chia seeds, frozen berries. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, my God, it's delicious. It's delicious. And then... If you really want to go down, a bit of toasted coconut flakes on top. So I, nice. I, I disagree Would you not with bother? coconut. Oh, I can't even smell it. I can't have oh. it anywhere. It's a bit like beetroot for oh, me. Oh, no. I love both of those it. things. Oh, that's why this we're is, yin and we're yang. We're so yin and yang. And then just my nostalgia thing is my twins are about to turn 16 and they're getting very excited about the fact that it's only a year until they can start doing driving lessons. And it took me back to, I did my driving test at 17. Can't believe that. That's amazing. And um, my first car was a Renault 5. Do you remember Renault 5? Fiat 127. Oh, I loved it. You know I'm a terrible driver, don't you? (laughs) People say it's like getting in a roller coaster. Ah, okay. Dreadful. I once drove into the back of a post office van on the Waterloo roundabout. (laughs) I was brushing my hair. (laughs) I I just can't hold my concentration long enough to drive anywhere. Terrible, terrible driver. Anyway, my lovely, my lovely Renault Five. Did you name it? I didn't actually. I should have done, shouldn't I? Sometimes people maybe I didn't love it enough. Mm. No, just like. That's it for today. Thank you very much for listening to Postcards from Midlife. Next time, we'll be talking to Louise Wenner about feeling desired and your sexuality when you're approaching or in your midlife. We'd love you to get in touch and tell us what you want us to cover in future episodes. You can follow us on Instagram, Postcards from Midlife, or you can follow us personally at Sunday Times Lorraine or at Trish of the Day. If you like what you're hearing between me and this silly sausage opposite me there could you rate and comment on whichever platform you subscribe to your podcast see you next time goodbye goodbye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.